It's Thursday, the 13th of February, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today... Let me take this opportunity to thank the people of New Hampshire for a great victory tonight. Bernie Sanders seems to have united the liberal wing of the Democratic Party, but with the centrist vote split, how long can his grip hold? Plus, why aren't people watching live television anymore? I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. After this week's primary in New Hampshire, Bernie Sanders has emerged as the frontrunner among Democratic Party candidates hoping to challenge Donald Trump for the presidency. But being the most liberal candidate in the field, is his lead dependent upon his centrist challenges remaining split? Jacob Parakilis is a U.S. affairs analyst. Jacob, Bernie Sanders won the primary in New Hampshire with just under 26%. But Pete Buttigieg was very close on his tail with 24.5%. That's an important distinction, isn't it? It's an important distinction that Sanders didn't win the New Hampshire primary by as much as he won it in 2016. In Sanders' credit, the fact is that he was running against a much more divided field. Uh, in 2016, he and Hillary Clinton were the only credible candidates at that time. This time, you had at least five or maybe six candidates, depending on whether you count Michael Bloomberg, who isn't on the ballot in New Hampshire, but certainly is waiting in the wings on the Super Tuesday states in March. Um, so he was, you know, you could expect him to have gotten a, a smaller overall percentage of the vote. Uh, Buttigieg certainly has overperformed expectations. The problem for Buttigieg is that both Iowa and New Hampshire are states that are demographically good matches for him. Uh, they tend to be whiter than the national average. They tend to be better educated than the national average. Uh, and that tends to be the basis of Buttigieg's support. He has not yet demonstrated that he has a lot of draw amongst African-American or Latino or other uh, non-white groups of Democrats. Well, if we compare the results in Iowa to New Hampshire, it does look as if Sanders may have united liberal voters, while centrists remain somewhat split. But what happens when centrists do eventually unite around a candidate? That could potentially send their support soaring beyond Sanders, couldn't it? Well, you would think so, but voter preferences aren't necessarily that simple. A lot of people back candidates not because of a particular ideological lane, but because they like something about them stylistically, or they like something about what they represent, or they uh, are, are in favor of them because they come from a certain part of the country. People back candidates for all kinds of reasons that you can't simplify down to, I am 85% left wing, so I will vote for the candidate who is closest to 85% left wing or something on a sort of you know, single axis line of analysis like that. There was a survey a little bit earlier this year that showed that the number two choice of many of Joe Biden's voters, in fact, most of Joe Biden's voters, was Bernie Sanders. That doesn't make sense ideologically, but if you think of somebody uh, who's trying to pick someone who they may not have a huge sense of ideologically, but are familiar with, they know their name, they know that they're credible, they've been in national politics, and they're comfortable enough with them. I think that's how a lot of voters ultimately make up their minds. There is a historically unusual degree of pressure on the Democratic Party to win this election, Jacob. Yet much has been said about the messy nature of this campaign and the crowded field of candidates, including a surging Bernie Sanders. Uh, apparently this is all creating a perfect storm for another Trump victory. 
Is that a valid concern? And if so, is there anything the Democratic Party can do about it? The example is used often enough of the incredibly contested and chaotic 1968 Democratic primary, which allowed Richard Nixon to cruise in and and become president of the United States. But even just four years ago, the Republican primary was incredibly uh, cutthroat, no holds barred. It was disruptive. Republican elites were extremely upset with how things went. And then Donald Trump went on to win the presidency. So chaos in the primary campaign doesn't necessarily correlate with an unsuccessful uh, general election campaign. The other thing I'd say, and I think this is something where pundits, myself included, need to be quite humble, is we don't really know what electable means. Um, I mean, everyone has their pet theories about what moves the electorate and whether it's structural factors or whether personality matters or, or anything else. But frankly, you know, most pundits this time four years ago didn't think that Donald Trump was anything like a, a possibility for election. The automatic assumption that Bernie Sanders, who after all has polled consistently pretty well against Donald Trump, is necessarily a weak candidate in the general election. I I think we just don't know that. He is enormously well-known. His popularity ratings are fairly high. People generally know him. So Trump saying, oh, he's a socialist. He said nice things about left-wing Latin American regimes in the 80s. I don't see any indication that those attacks are necessarily going to land. Victory here is the beginning of the end for Donald Trump. Jacob Parakilis, thank you. We sent our US election correspondent Thomas Lewis to the primary in New Hampshire this week to talk to some of those casting their ballots. Here's some of what voters had to say. My name's Sharon Brimbaugh, and I'm supporting Pete Buttigieg. Well, number one, I agree with his policy positions, but I also think he's the best antidote to the current president of the U.S. I think he's smart, he's thoughtful, he's compassionate, he has the leadership qualities we need in a president, and he can bring people together, which we greatly need. My name is Representative Gabby Grossman, and I'm supporting Senator Elizabeth Warren for president. Madam Prez. (laughs) She inspires me to be fierce, tenacious, and to persist. My name is Scott Fire. I'm supporting Bill Weld as the Republican nominee for president. Governor Weld is unlike President Trump. He's a man who firmly supports the Constitution and also has a proven record of executive leadership. He was two-term governor of Massachusetts, very popular, and I feel like he would be a huge improvement over the current president. He's much more of a, let's say, centrist than either Trump or most of the Democratic candidates. So I'm comfortable with my support for him. I'm supporting Amy Klobuchar today because I think she can bring us together. The media in other parts of the country are expressing opinions that I'm not seeing in my real life. And so what I've done to just observe myself, I know how far to go in conversations, and I weigh the value of the relationship versus my political opinion. Because sometimes it's just an opinion. The voices of some of those submitting their votes in the New Hampshire primary this week in a report produced by our US election correspondent, Thomas Lewis. The number of those watching television is trending downwards. Well, at least traditional television. If we consider the rise of streaming platforms, there are actually more people glued to their screens than ever. 
But, as Monocle's Fernando Augusto Pacheco explains, that often means less viewers for everyone. In the streaming era, it's getting harder and harder to host a live television show that can grip an audience. Even award ceremonies are feeling the pressure. The Oscars this year was the least watched ceremony ever, with only 23.6 million tuning in live. A strong dip compared to last year's show. Well, hello! It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a With so many options at their fingertips, are viewers growing bored of live pomp and ceremonies on television? It's not just the Oscars' problem, of course. Maintaining TV ratings has caused headaches for the producers of the Grammys, the Emmys and the Golden Globes. Yet, there's certainly still a desire for live viewing experiences done right. Just look at the strong ratings from sports broadcasts, such as the Super Bowl. That incredible Shakira and J-Lo performance this year certainly helped. And the Football World Cup. This suggests that people will still happily watch a three-hour-plus show if it can stay fresh and entertaining. Some say these live shows are too long. I say, keep them long and fun. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my neighbor. My thanks to Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Elsewhere on today's agenda... Italy is introducing a so-called book law with a yearly budget of over 4 million euros for initiatives that promote reading. It includes tax credits for booksellers and a cap of 5% on potential discounts in an effort to protect small shops from big chains prone to price slashing. It's a positive step for a country that's seen hundreds of booksellers close in recent years. The European Parliament has approved a landmark free trade deal between the European Union and Vietnam, likely to come into force in July. The deal eliminates almost 99% of custom duties and is forecast to increase Vietnamese exports of goods and services to the EU by 15 billion euros by 2035. But as one door to Southeast Asia opens, another one closes. The European Commission is planning to withdraw trade preferences from Cambodia, where recent years have seen government crackdowns on opposition, civil society groups and the media. And when was the last time you sat on a park bench and listened to the hum of the city around you? Well, Melbourne's Lord Mayor says that the scarcity of such moments, free from the distractions of a smartphone, is causing an uptick in rudeness. In an editorial published yesterday in The Age, Sally Cap says sliding standards of etiquette among city dwellers, such as discarded cigarette butts, chewing gum on footpaths, and urinating in public, are all symptomatic of a society that's become too self-absorbed. So, if you're listening to this on your morning commute, please keep your feet off the seats and remember to take your rubbish with you. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday. Friday.